So my first working day, the phone rang. And I actually thought it was a joke, like surely not my first day. And Ty said, oh yeah, we've got the biggest confiscation ever, 118 pangolins. When you look at a picture of a pangolin, you wonder what the fuss is about when there are far more iconic and photogenic endangered animals. Glamorous tigers, cute monkeys and powerful orangutans. But this animal, a scaly, baby dragon-like thing the size of a small dog, is the most trafficked creature on the planet and you've likely never heard of it. Pangolins have a defence strategy that's super effective against predators but useless against humans. Rolling up into an armoured ball makes it all too easy to pick up and put in a bag. Their meat is a delicacy. Their scales are dried and puffed like pork scratchings for traditional medicine. And they're trafficked in their millions for consumption in China and Vietnam. They're a small, sniffly, ant-eating mammal. That's right, a mammal with scales. We are on the way to go to our rescue centre. We're walking through the forest to where confiscated pangolins are kept. Peaceful, quite peaceful play, huh? <laughs> and uh, it's getting summer, so the, uh, all the tree now is get the red flower. It's very beautiful. Before that, it's only one month ago. And if you come here, you go weak like the butterfly storm. A butterfly yeah. storm. Butterfly storm. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens in a butterfly storm? Uh, if you go by bike with the like high speed and the butterfly will hit you. <laughs> but if you go walk like us, you look like princess, uh, walking with the many colorful butterfly around you. You look like a princess surrounded <laughs> by butterflies. <laughs> yeah. All right, I could do that. <laughs> a few hours drive south of Hanoi, Cook Phuong National Park is home to a pangolin rescue centre run by environment organisation Save Vietnam's Wildlife and Lan Ho is the education officer. After a few years of working in wildlife conservation in southern Vietnam... And I just have the question in my mind, what the real conservation? She what asked is herself, what is true conservation? And I just quit the job and travel. And one of the places I wish I could come to visit is the Kupfer National Park. And I know about this program, it's a pangolin conservation program. The story touched my heart. Lan and I just fell feel in so love. sorry for a few poor part of pangolin. And, and I just see that the pangolin is a very special animal. At night, the path through the forest is lit by fireflies. During the day, the call of the Siaman Gibbon from the nearby primate rescue centre follows us as we walk to meet the man who runs Save Vietnam's Wildlife. Uh, my name is Thai Nguyen. I'm director of Save Vietnam Wildlife. It's a non-profit organisation in Vietnam. I started working with carnivore and pangolins in 2005, but I found Save Vietnam Wildlife in 2014. Actually, I'm not a uh, Hanoi guy. I'm local here. I born here, going up here and working here. So I used to see a lot of the wild animals, especially when I was a young child. Ty grew up nearby when there were many more wild animals in the forest. Seeing so many different species, but also it's showing slowly loss from the hunting and from shedding. 
This is one of a very few Vietnamese-run environment NGOs, and Thai Nguyen is internationally recognised, as his colleague Maddie Rossman tells us. I was in the Netherlands with him at the award ceremony. It was a reunion. And he was there and he met my king. I'd always love to tell people here in the village that your local boy who does something with those pangolins, if he goes abroad, people praise him. And he's, yeah, it's funny how, how one individual can actually make such a difference. Why are pangolins so desirable? One thing is because the taste of the meat, it, many people believe it's good, delicacy but also they believe the pangolin scale is good for the medicine. So there's enormous pressure on the pangolin. And according to research Thais had done, almost a fifth of Vietnam's population has eaten pangolin at some point in their lives. But while only 0.3% have eaten it in the past six months... It looks like very small, but it, it's that representative of the whole population in Vietnam. It nearly 300,000 people been using the pangolin product in the last six months. So that is an enormous number, yeah. Well, I'm Madeline, uh, Madeline Williamson. I'm the country director for Traffic in Vietnam. Traffic is an international NGO monitoring wildlife trading. An estimated one million live pangolin have been illegally traded in the past 10 years. And at 350 US dollars a kilo, it's a delicacy, a luxury and a status symbol. Over these last five months, January to May, there were 11 seizures of pangolins. There were live pangolin seizures, a total of 138 animals. And there were also 1.4 tonne of pangolin skills, and those skills all come from Africa, while the live pangolins are all local and endemic pangolins to the Southeast Asia region. The skills that come from Africa, they get seized either at the seaports or the airports. The live pangolins all are trafficked in the back of cars, uh, in the back of a bus, and um, get seized in Vietnam, being transported to different locations in Vietnam and to China. We know that you can order pangolins at a restaurant and you pay per kilo for pangolin meat. We've also seen just recently some pangolin skills being sold as jewellery in jewellery shops. Hi, my name is Maddie Rossman and I'm the technical advisor of Save Vietnam's Wildlife. I'm here to assist the team in making sure that the husbandry standards are really high to work with the team on releases, on confiscations of pangolins and anything in between. Um, would you like to see a pangolin? There's a lot going on in one animal. So I'll show you one, so... Let's have a look. Yeah. Hello, sweetie. So what we've got here is a little... It looks like a little scaled cat with a long nose and obviously it does a lot with that nose because it's as if it's sniffing everything, moving its little face around. It's dribbled on the microphone. And it has protruding black eyes and a tongue which is coming out. Its tail is wrapped around Maddie's arm. And he, I think it's a boy, yeah. is dribbling like mad. And he's so, his scales are soft and warm. Oh, he's 
beautiful. <laughs> and the, the dribbling, the drooling you see. So if you look at his neck, it's quite swollen here. Yeah. So that's really big salivary glands that are over the trachea. Because that tongue, it, the tongue inside the body starts at about here where the stomach is. And then it goes all the way up through the throat. And they can stick it out very long as well, like a giant anteater. Or, so they do that quite quickly. And it needs to be lubricated. So that's why those glands are really, really big. And his skin underneath his tummy... It's like a little piggy. <laughs> it is like a little piggy. It's, it's pink. kind of slightly pink and damp yeah. and a little bit hairy. Just across the yard is the keeper's shed. And outside it, as the afternoon rain comes on, Din Van Tan is cutting up raw meat and fruit for the carnivores in the rescue centre across the way. My name is Dinh Van Thanh. Before, I lived in Kuk Phuong National Park, but now my community and family have moved outside. I've been working here for more than 17 years. Before that, what did you do? In the past, I lived in the forest with family, but then I moved away. And even now, when I return, I no longer hunt. So when you, what sort of animals did you hunt? Were there pangolin here? I used to hunt squirrels and birds only and never saw pangolin, but I heard it was possible to find them. I feel there's lots of change and I feel a lot of regret. It will take a long time to recover, but the environment is not as good without the forest. We can only do so much to return it back to what it was. I feel sad that people don't know what they're missing out on. If people are forward-looking, they'll conserve more. So what do the pangolins eat? The keepers help them get used to commercial food. An ideal situation is that they arrive in our centre and go straight onto frozen ant eggs, which it almost looks like risotto. If they don't take it, we have to make sure they start to like it. And we do that by climbing a tree. Well, not me, <laughs> the keepers. Um, so they climb up, I don't know, 30, 40 feet. And they start hacking. And there's this, so an ant's nest is basically a big ball of leaves glued together. It's almost like spiderweb. And then the second keeper stands on the ground with a big Hessian bag and um, tries to catch this nest in one go in the back and unclose it because the ants are about a centimetre long. They are red and you can actually see their jaws. So when they climb on you and they hold on with their jaws, you actually have to pick them off you and it hurts. <laughs> so it's quite labour intensive. So little is known about populations. Ty and his crew are doing radio tracking in the wild to try and find out more. We don't know the population of the pangolins there. We don't know how many they are in the wild in certain area. It's very yeah. difficult when pangolins are solitary, isn't it? You, yeah, they, they're not hanging around in groups for you to count. Yeah, they nocturnal. They're living underground, inside the tree hollows, spend most of the time hidden. Even basic things, like, is this and this behaviour, is this normal? So they're grumpy animals sometimes. So they, they snort and they, they roll half up and then they 
sigh, walk off again, and then we're like, excuse me, can I just pick you up to check you? And they just go, <laughs> but there's just not really anybody other than the people who work here who can tell you those things. My name is Nguyen Duc. I was born and, and grew up in Vietnam and then went overseas, but I'm, I've been back here for 10 years now. Quy Tuk's a journalist, writer and thinker, and he runs a bar in Hanoi. We visit one evening to dig a little deeper into the Vietnamese relationship with the pangolin and with nature. I'm referring to wars that had happened for thousands of years in Vietnam, and particularly during the time of Japanese occupation, for example, when two million people died of starvation. In such times, the Vietnamese ended up with the habit of eating anything they can get their hands on. The problem is there are hundreds of years of traditions of, of being told, you know, this is a great aphrodisiac, this is great for your health. In the Confucian culture where traditions are passed on from generation to generation to generation, these are very strong beliefs. If your elders tell you to do something, if somebody that has more authority than you, a traditional medicine doctor or a minister, your mother or your auntie tells you to do something, you do it. It's very important to, with these progressive young people in Vietnam, to give them skills to stand up against that hierarchy because that's very hard. Vietnam is all about social structure. Vietnam is a very young country in the sense of 70% uh, of the, the people are under 30. So there's a whole new generation of people who are aware of issues that are, are known around the world. And I am baffled by the adherence to old traditions. And once you go outside, you must struggle, you must hustle, you must make money now because it's still unstable. It's still a communist country here, but it's communist in name. Everything else is about trade and pragmatic capitalist system. Now you have more opportunities. Now you can make a bit more money. So you do that. You have money. You build a big house. Uh, and then you serve a rare bird to your friends when they come around and have a drink with you. And that is part of a status that comes with a new society emerging. We know that restaurants um, sell pangolins because men go there to secure their business deals or engage with their colleagues or their peers to, to gain more business. Um, here, have some pangolin. Here, have some rhino horn. I can organize all of these things because I'm so good at what I do. I stand above the law, I've got good connections. But there's no getting around the impact of this passionate embrace of consumerism, of status-seeking, on the animal itself. And there are images Lan Ho's taken that haunt me still. Pangolins squeezed into tiny bags, unable to uncurl. And because the value of the creature increases with its weight... The reality we see a lot is that they force-feed the pangolin. They force-feed the pangolin. the pangolin, yes with some kind of liquid, the corn flour, and uh, even the rock, rock the soil. Rocks and soil. soil. How do they get that soil or the corn flour with water into yeah. the stomach of the pangolin? 
One way they put the plastic, uh, plastic pipe, try to put it into the stomach of the penguin and you push the liquid. But now they have the machine. You're saying there's actually machines for yeah. so it's like a business to yeah. fill pangolin up with. Yeah, yes, and they have the machine, and then one or two kilogram of the liquid go inside the stomach. But not only that, they also inject the water under skin of pangolin. And just to be clear, the pangolin are still alive while this is being done. Yeah, still alive. A pangolin's stomach can explode from this treatment. So the hope is always the police and customs officials who catch the poachers confiscate the animals before they die. So on my first working day, the phone rang. And I actually thought it was a joke, like surely not my first day. And Ty said, oh yeah, we've got the biggest confiscation ever, 118 pangolins. It was an actual you know, criminal site, so the police were still doing investigations and half the village was there and, you know, the police all came out and they showed me where they had shot at the car. Yeah, and then they opened the, the windows and that was just, the smell was just, I can't describe it. So you see all these round pangolins in those nets and you see their eyes and you, they look at you. So when they took them all out and weighed them all, it turned out it was a second layer underneath who had all the feces, urine, it all got through to them. So they were in yeah, a worse state than I could have ever imagined. And you just sit there and think, okay, I have no choice. You know, this is what I'm doing now. And you look at them and you basically have to decide which one you do first based on whether they move. And you can see the other ones that aren't moving, they're alive and they're looking at you and you can't help them yet. Yeah, I have to say, I don't think I did see that coming and I, I'm almost crying now because, <laughs> yeah, it makes you lose faith in humanity, really. So I sat there like having this little moment with this one pangolin that's dying and all, I, all you can say is, I'm sorry, I can't help you. How many died that night? Five, in front of my eyes. Of this confiscation, only two-thirds survived, but they've now been released in a national park a 40-hour drive away. And then I found myself working with pangolins who don't like you, don't like anything. Um, and it wasn't until we did my first release, when I went on my first release trip to release the pangolins, that when I opened those boxes and you see them walk out and... I still found myself having this emotion of, ah, I want to keep them, I want to look after them. But yeah, you know what, when I, when I saw that first one walking out of that box, just not really caring about any of us, it was, it was just beautiful because it just didn't care. Pangolins have now been protected by international law and are illegal to sell. But while we were in Hanoi, we decided to see how easy it would be to get tet-tet, or pangolin products, which are sold for traditional medicine. We've just arrived at a small shop on the corner of two busy streets. It's called Na Tok Dong Hong, and it's a traditional medicine shop. Inside, we've got a really beautiful old wooden cabinet with lots and lots of drawers and we're about to meet the traditional medicine doctor, Mr Hoy. Could you show us around your shop and tell us some of the things you have in your drawers? 
There are a lot of things, many different sorts. All right, so we've got like a like little bits of wood. We've got flower stamen there. But we're also interested to know whether you have any tete in this shop. Right now, we don't use it anymore. That's because it's protected now. I really do love this animal. It can cure a lot of conditions. What would you use the pangolin for? The first is when women are having trouble breastfeeding. It helps regulate it. It can also clear the skin on the face and the body and infections deep inside. Chinese people use it for cancer treatment. This is how it's prepared. We take the scales, heat them until they expand, then we crush them like a powder and boil that with other ingredients for drinking. If they go to Western doctors, it might help, but this treatment releases blockages in her system, including any mucus. It's very effective. I still have some scales which I'm keeping for personal use, in case my family or I might need them, like a souvenir. Here at last we see the pangolin scale as it's used medicinally. There are five scales here and they look a bit like pork scratchings. How much are these scales worth? Mr Hoy's wife has just taken the scales, she's weighing them. She's bringing them back to us. Each use only requires 10 grams. 10 grams isn't a lot of money. So if it's 17 million for five scales, then 10 grams is about a million seven hundred thousand. So five scales for $18. That means one animal with about 900 scales would be worth over 3,000 US dollars. So we've seen pangolin products and we've met the animals and their keepers. We've heard what happens to them and how they're cared for and released. But what to do next? It's not enough to keep confiscating and returning them to the wild if they'll just get caught again. The practice itself has to stop. Lan Ho takes a straightforward, if somewhat brutal, educational approach to tourists and visiting school kids. It's quite different between the foreigner, Westerner and the Vietnamese. When the Westerners see the horrified video and they want to get away. The horrible video the is video the footage of pangolins dying with burst intestines. But with the Vietnamese, they got familiar with uh, some kind of horrible thing already. So when they come here, they want to see that. Even I ask them, it's very horrible, do you want to see? Are you sure you want to see? They still want to see. But you know, before we show the horrible thing, I introduce the species and about the beauty first. So how special, how beautiful and how lovely the animals are to make them feel in love with the, our species. And after that, I saw the opposite image. And for Madeline Willemson of Traffic, if the laws aren't enforced, the approach has to be cultural. And they've been working on a campaign for a similar issue, the use of rhino horn products. So we developed an initiative to change the behaviour. So our brand is called Qi, and Qi means the strength come from within. You do not need other products to show your success and to be a successful businessman. You earn more respect by just being yourself
And qi, the strength come from within, is all about responsibility. It's all about you stepping up and taking the responsibility for the people in Vietnam. As of last year, the pangolin is listed for a total trade ban. It's now illegal to transfer them across international borders. But what that means for the internal trade is anyone's guess. Next in our series, The Silent Forest, the quasi-military efforts of Thailand to protect its precious rosewood trees from armies of international poachers and activist monks. We meet the monk who's changed the life of a village. But before we go, Lan Ho says, of course Vietnamese people can care, regardless of their circumstance. She met a subsistence farmer in the south named Kang, who found a pangolin and wanted to help it. When he brought the animal back home and asked a neighbour and said that it's very expensive, you should sell for us or you should eat that. But not only him, but also his family. And they refused all the offer. They refused all the offers? Yeah. $150, and then even $750 for that pangling. But he refused all the Instead, Farmer Kang, who has no phone, got a friend to use the internet to search for a home for the animal. Tai Nguyen rang Lan, who was in Saigon, and she raced to meet Kang, who wasn't quite expecting her. I called Kang and Kang said, Are you a woman? (laughs) And I said, Yes, I'm a woman. (laughs) They took the pangolin to the forest to release it together. Then we walked. To the forest four kilometers. But the pangolin turned round as if to return to them, and Lan was worried it was already socialized to humans. If we release and it come back with us, it's not good at all. Yeah, because it can come to the village again. Kang but said then, it's just saying Kang goodbye and Kang told the pangolin to, to, to the go pangolin. back to the okay, forest. It's enough now, you go to the forest, and then the pangolin just go to the forest, and it's make our experience is so amazing. I can't, I can't. It's a real experience, but I can't explain for what happened at the time. It just gives us more motivation that the poor Vietnamese and non-educated, but they still want to do something good for the animal.